Welcome to week two of the Connected Parenting Podcast. This week, I'm going to take you through the calm technique and a little bit of the science behind the power of love and why it's so effective and what wonderful things it can do for your children. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Caleri. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week and we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums to bedtime to sibling issues to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So the first thing I want to talk about is there's sort of two sides to parenting. There's the soft parenting, the cuddling, the tickling, the playing with your child, those beautiful moments where you're just connecting and you're joining with each other and it's warm and wonderful. And then there's the hard parenting, which is go to bed, don't hit your brother, get upstairs, brush your teeth, get out the door to school. Uh, All of the things that take energy and it's almost like pushing a boulder uphill and you have to do it over and over and over again every day. So I find a lot of parents are incredibly exhausted and it's really important to find the balance between those two things. So today I want to walk you through how to deeply listen and attune to another person. So what we often do is we do what I call cheerleading. So a child is upset. They were building something or working on something or drawing something and it didn't work out or they're in a video game and they're screaming and yelling and they're upset. And usually what we do is we either run in and try to contain the situation. What's going on in here? Why can't I leave you alone for five seconds without this happening? Or we run in and we cheerlead. What happened? What's wrong? What can I do? What's the matter? So those are some of the two ways that we tend to address a child uh, who's upset. And I'm going to suggest that a third way can work even better, and that's using the calm technique. So this is basically deeply understanding, getting, letting the person be upset in that moment just for a few seconds, just stay there with them. And then you can correct if you need to later. But what often happens is when you listen, well, you don't have to. So let's say you run in, your child is just, I don't know, maybe they were building something and it fell apart. Instead of running in and saying, why are you screaming? And there's children in the world who don't even have toys. Why, you know, why are you behaving this way? You come and you go, oh my gosh, you were working so hard on that. That was amazing. When I was here a few minutes ago, that looked fantastic. What happened? Now, I know that that seems counterintuitive. I know that that feels like the opposite of what you should be doing. But in so many cases, the person just needs to be heard. And when they have that moment that they've been heard, they've been understood, you get them, something incredible happens in the brain. Opiates, natural opiates, endorphins, and a very powerful hormone called oxytocin release into the bloodstream, calming the person down, settling them down right down to a cellular level. There's no reason for them to keep screaming because they've been understood. So if you think about it, it's kind of like... Well, let's put it this way. Let Your child has you know, been building a Lego tower or something that's fallen apart and they're screaming and yelling and we want to come in and we want to contain it and we want them to settle themselves down or appreciate what they have or not drive us crazy again for the fourth time that day. And that's all our agenda. In their little world, they're building something and it was fantastic and they were really excited about it and they couldn't wait to show you and it fell down or it didn't work the way that they wanted it to. And they've only lived a few years, so they don't have a lot of life experience to put this into an organized bin of what's bad and what's not bad. 
or what's mediocre and what's horrible. Um, they just feel terrible in that moment and children live in the now. And so when you come upstairs and you have a different agenda, they have no choice but to escalate. Well, mom's not getting it. Mom doesn't understand. She doesn't understand why I'm up so upset about this. Well, honey, why don't you just start again? And I'm sure you can build another one that'll be better next time. No, it won't be better next time. It was perfect the way that it was. Well, honey, I know you think that, but sometimes the best things happen out of mistakes. No. So you can see, even though we're trying to do some really meaningful teaching in that moment, that little one is just pushing against that because what's happening is they are feeling invalidated. They are feeling like you don't get it. They are feeling like you don't understand. And because you don't understand, they're going to escalate until you do understand. So ironically, when we come into these situations trying to de-escalate, the exact opposite happens. And the person actually escalates in response to us, which is really frustrating. Um, and that's why we walk away sometimes from these interactions, just furious. You know what? Fine. Do it yourself then. Or I'm going to take these toys. I'm going to put them in a box. I'm going to give them to a child who really appreciates their toys. No, you're so mean. You're the meanest mom. So what happens is if we just jump into the containment first, and I'm all about containment, and you'll see either in my books or in future podcasts, we will talk about how important containment is. There's a really important reason why children need us to set limits and mean what we say and say what we mean. But if you start there, you're going to have an escalation, especially with children who are big feelers, who are very intense, who hang on to things, um, and who are really struggling. The other thing we have to understand, the context for this is parenting has really changed in the last 25 to 30 years, we've really gone from, a, you know, a parent-centered model where kids were listening to adults and you were supposed to listen to adults and there was all kinds of cultural references that reinforced that in our TV shows and our uh, movies. Um, and now, so many years later, it's really a child-centered world where it's all about the kids and they watch TV shows and they see the adults who are silly, ridiculous people who don't know anything. And the kids are the ones who know everything and figure everything out. And so these layers of information that's given to our kids um, that tell them that the hierarchy has shifted. It shouldn't shift. Um, and it's one of the reasons why children are more anxious and have more difficulty regulating. They really do want us to be in charge. They really don't want us to just be their friends. They feel safe when they know the rules and their structure, but they push against it in ways that we didn't as young children. So when you try to go back and parent uh, in that old fashioned way, your kids are like, you can't talk to me like that. And I'm going to call children's services on you. And you're like, what? I would never have talked to my parents that way. And if you think back to when you were kids, you know, children barely acted out in class. And if they did, we'd all be like, oh, what's going to happen? Um, and now it happens all the time. So it's a different world. So some of the traditional ways of parenting just don't work anymore. They just flat out don't work. Um, but being too permissive, also doesn't work because kids really do need us to be in charge and they want us to be in charge. So what's different about connected parenting is it's about creating safety in the conversation first. First, you connect. You always connect before you correct. And this is a really important foundation thing. Um, and I know it's hard to remember to do, but it, it will help you. It really will. Um, the other thing that you have to remember is that it's counterintuitive. It's the opposite of what your brain is telling you to do. Your brain wants to say, well, you got it out. I'm trying to watch one thing on TV, just one thing. Why can't you just play by yourself for five minutes? That's what we feel like saying. But it's really important. I always say to parents, you know, this model really asks you to sort of think about, am I about to say something to my child that I feel like saying? 
Or am I about to say something to my child that my child needs to hear? And those are often two very different things. So it's really asking us to respond to our kids instead of react to our kids. Now, I want to really stress to everyone that we're human. I mean, it is impossible to just be neutral and, and, and calm all of the time. That's not even normal. I mean, if you parented your children and never got mad, you're going to mess them up anyways because their boss is going to yell at them one day and they're going to fall on the floor because they've never been yelled at before. So it really is about balance. And so when you lose it and when you blow it, and I say when because we all do, you can go back and you can repair. But really trying to pull this technique into your parenting will come back to you in ways that I cannot even describe to you. It will make things so much easier. You will see your children being more resilient, more emotionally organized, more connected to you, more affectionate. Um, you'll see their social skills improved and you'll see their, their behavior with their siblings improve. Um, there really is so many reasons to be doing this. And the best reason of all really is you'll feel great about your own parenting. You won't have to go to bed at night going, oh my God, I hate myself. I was the worst parent today. I can't stand the sound of my own voice tomorrow. I'm not going to yell. We're not going to yell tomorrow. And we'll have a whole other podcast on yelling. But, you know, yelling is a very popular parenting technique, but it doesn't work. And if it worked, there'd be a lot of very well-behaved kids in the world. And if it does work, it's only because your child is terrified. And think about this. When have you ever been yelled at or screamed at or bawled out or reprimanded and you've gone, oh, oh my gosh, thank you so much. That was fantastic. That's exactly what I needed in this moment. I'm going to go fix that problem. Nobody's ever done that. You won't ever do that. That's incredibly hard to do because when you're yelled at, you feel threatened. And we have to remember, especially with our little ones, um, our teenagers too, but especially our little ones, we're big, we're tall. We have all of the power. And so when we're screaming, we are far more intimidating than we mean to be. Um, and we know we love them and we know we wouldn't harm them, but they don't always know that. We can be pretty scary. We can be pretty frightening. Um, and we don't like being yelled at either. So just because you're four doesn't mean it feels any different. So let's come back to the calm technique because that's what I really want to walk you through today. So there's, there's four things that you're going to do. The first one is you're going to connect. You're going to put your phone down or uh, turn the TV off. You're going to really look into your child's eyes and really be present with them in this moment. We are so busy and pulled in so many directions that we forget how important this is. And I think we underestimate how important it is or maybe overestimate how much connection we actually do in a busy day. Um, and it really is usually less than we think. So really being mindful of this and pulling it into your parenting repertoire um, is incredibly important. So that's the first thing. You don't have to drop everything all the time, but you really want to be present as much as you can in the moment. The next thing you're going to do is the A in calm, and that's the affect matching. So this is where the look on your face um, needs to pretty much match the look in their face. So if they're, you know, crying because, you know, they're five years old and they thought this girl Jillian loved them, but it turns out she loves Josh, um, you don't want to be smiling and like, oh, honey, that's so cute. Oh, that's so cute. You're only five. No, because they're upset. We wouldn't like that. Why would they? So you have to have the same look on your face. Like, oh my gosh, you love Jillian and you were just sure she liked you. You have to be able to stay in their moment. And it's tough to do, especially when your kids are sad. We want to take the pain away. But this is actually how, even though it's counterintuitive, this is how. So that's the affect matching. You're also going to take your agenda 
which is do your homework, put that away, brush your teeth, um, get to bed, whatever that is, you want to suspend that slightly. Uh, we get to bring it back, I promise, so that you can be present in the moment with your child. The next thing you're going to do is listening. So this is where you can use your words. You can paraphrase, you can summarize, you can clarify, or you can wonder out loud. Those are the four things that you're going to do when you're listening to your child or anyone, by the way. So at that point, it's really not so much about what you say, but how you say it. This is a very affect-based technique. It's incredibly important um, to deliver in a way that's genuine. If you're doing it while you're thinking, oh my God, could I just go to bed? It's not going to work. You have to really suspend your agenda, step into their world and look around. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to pack a bag and move in, but you have to just look around and see it from their point of view. And when you do that, these incredible reward chemicals flood the brain and calm your child down. And I'm not kidding, probably 85 to 90% of the time when you do this, you might get some grumbling, but you'll get compliance. And it's astonishing. It, it really is. You can try it as soon as you're finished this podcast on your child and you'll see how powerful it is. And then the M, of course, is for mirroring. When you've done all of those steps, uh, all of those things, then, then that means you had a good mirroring moment with your child. Now, I also want to say to people, you don't have to wait till they're upset to use this. I don't want you to sort of end this podcast and go, okay, I'm going to sit here and wait for my kid to be upset. This is great. I'm going to use this new technique. You can use it when they're happy. You can use it when they're joyful and they're excited about something. Use the exact same formula. So I quickly want to just talk about the listening part, the L, the words that you're going to be using. So I'll take you through an example. I think in my book, my first book, I use an example of a, of a child putting a, a snowsuit on. That's probably uh, a good one this time of year as the weather starts to get a little bit colder. So, you know, you have to remember kids have been wearing other clothes and all of a sudden it's time for snowsuits and there's all kinds of transition issues around that. I don't know if anyone else is wearing a snowsuit and I'm not used to it. I don't like how I feel and I'm not cold and I'm not wearing it. There's a lot of battles around seasonal clothing changes with a lot of kids and certainly with uh, super sensitive kids. So the snowsuit battle is probably a good one. So let's say you have a five-year-old and you say, hey, sweetie, you know what? Time to go. We got to go. Let's, let's get your snowsuit on. And your child says, no, I'm not putting a snowsuit on. I'm not wearing a snowsuit. It's, it's, I don't want to wear it now. And then we usually like, honey, please put the snowsuit on. It's winter now. Your friends are all wearing snowsuits. The school expects you to wear a snowsuit. Please put the snowsuit on. No, no, I'm not wearing the snowsuit. Honey, put your snowsuit on, please. Mommy's getting upset. Look at my face. This is not a happy face. Mommy is upset. I'm going to start counting. One, two, three, three, three and a half. Get your snow. Oh, now your brother has his snowsuit off. This is where we go, right? This, this can be the chaos sometimes. And it's so exhausting and it is so hard to stay centered and stay neutral and and really kind of keep everything on track um, and kids will often use transitions at the door to delay going out the door some of them would rather fight with you than get to school honestly so this is an absolute gem you look at them and you say you know what I totally get it I don't want to wear my ski jacket either it's bunchy and it's hot and then I'm cold outside but I'm hot in the car and the kid's like, yeah, I feel like that too. And I don't think anyone else is wearing their snowsuit. And he's like, so you don't want to be the person at school wearing a snowsuit when everybody else is wearing a spring, a spring coat or a fall coat. Yeah. So what happens as you do that is you're demonstrating to your child that you understand what they're thinking. You're stepping to their shoes. You feel what they're feeling in that moment. And you do that for maybe three or four statements. You don't have to lie there and do a therapy session for an hour. 
It's literally three or four statements, just enough to get those beautiful reward chemicals flowing. And what happens, and it's like magic, is quite often they're like, okay, fine, I'll put it on. And then don't make a big deal and go, oh my gosh, that's amazing. Look at you listening to mommy. No, you say, great, let's go. Awesome. Nonchalant, very positive, but moving forward. I would say stay in motion with your kids. Um, it, it will actually astonish you. If you can pull this off, um, it really does work. It, it's, it's shocking, actually, how well it works. Um, I want to take a few minutes just to talk about the difference between active listening and mirroring, because they're actually two very different techniques. So um, that's sort of, uh, there's active listening, empathic listening, and, and those are lovely techniques, but they also can sound a little bit like what I call the customer service response. I understand, ma'am, that must be very frustrating, but and you can feel the lilt, the sound in the words um, make us feel like a, a giant no is coming or, or a but is coming. Um, and mirroring is much more about staying in the moment. So I want people to just think about drop the observational statements. Know it sounds like, it feels like, you must be. Especially with very, very bright kids, they kind of get insulted that maybe you're, you know, think you know something about them that you don't know. Um, and think about sort of a customer service example if you were... Um, I don't know, buying a fridge or something and you were expecting it to be delivered and all your food was out on the counter and you call the company because it's been hours since the, you know, you were told that the delivery was coming and the person's like, I understand, ma'am, that must be very frustrating for you, but we have quite a bit of inventory and that's not what we want to hear. That just makes us mad. That's going to escalate us. So what we want is someone goes, what? That fridge should have been there two hours ago. I'm going to look into why that's happening. Your food's going to rot on that counter and melt. Let me see. So it's not about agreeing. I really want people to understand this. It is not about agreeing. It's about getting. It's about understanding. You can completely disagree with why someone's upset, but you can step into their world and appreciate and empathize with why they are upset. I always find it helpful too to think about who are the people that you want to talk to when you're upset. Do you really want to talk to the person who says, well, I don't know why you just don't do this. And well, you've talked about this before. And I told you to do this and this. And why haven't you tried it? We don't like that. That's not what we want. That's not what we're looking for in those moments, in those situations. We want someone to hear us. We want someone to get us. We want someone to have what I call the best friend response. What? Are you kidding me? No way. We want somebody right in there with us. And often once someone just hears us, we already know what we want to do. We know the solution. We know what action we need to take. We just want someone there with us just for that moment to be in that uncomfortable or painful moment with us. In, in future podcasts, we'll talk about um, when kids are really suffering and struggling with deeper things, bullying and, and really big upsets. And honestly, it is the only way to soothe and comfort and help anyone. You can't talk someone out of their pain. There is nothing you're going to say to anybody that's going to make it better. Being there with them, not judging them in that moment and letting them work it out is the way to help someone get through something. I always say you can't go under it or over it. You got to go through it and you have to be able to hold their hand and walk them through it. And you have to be brave and neutral with that person, especially with your own child when you do. So at this point, it's probably um, great to sort of answer questions. So th these are questions that people have asked me in the past, um, and I'll have people say, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to do all this mirroring when I'm trying to get my kid's snowsuit on. And my answer to you is you don't have time not to. 
you're going to put in the same amount or probably more energy by not doing it, by chasing them around with the snowsuit. And then everybody's yelling and then you're in the car and then they're crying in the car and you're, you're yelling in the car and then you drop them off and then you start crying in the car because you're, you know, left your child that way and you hate how you treated them and you feel upset and sad about it. You have so many parents who say to me, I was such a nice person before I had kids. And now I yell all the time. I, I don't know what happened to me. Parenting is hard. It is really hard. You have so much invested in this little person. You love them so much. You are so worried about them. And every action that they take, you think, oh, well, how's that going to play out when they're 25? And, and no one's going to marry this kid. And how is he going to graduate school? And it's, it's absolutely intense. And there's very few things that can prepare you for parenting. It, it is hands down the hardest job you will ever do. It's also the most rewarding and wonderful job. You go from the absolute highest of highs to the lowest of lows. And I really feel passionate about helping parents um, really celebrate the highs, but also manage the lows because they happen and the lows aren't terrible. You need some of those. You need that contrast. Life is a tapestry. It's got to be interesting. And, and it's the tougher lessons that actually teach our children the most important things. And we'll, we'll talk about healthy adversity in, in future uh, podcasts. But I want to leave people with this. Um, this is counterintuitive mirroring. It is not the first thing you will feel like doing. So if you wait to feel like doing it, you're going to wait for a very long time. You actually really mindfully have to uh, commit to this and do it. Um, and I would say to listeners, just try it two or three times a day. That's it. Put your head on the pillow at night and go, yeah, yeah, three times today. I really did a good job uh, mirroring my child. I really used the calm technique and then pay attention. Watch what happens. You'll see it's incredible. Uh, it, it really doesn't take a lot to see the behavioral change when you start doing this. So thanks for listening today. Give this a try. Bring mirroring into your world. Try it on everyone. In order to get good at this, you have to practice, which means you have to do it on your husband or your wife or your colleagues at work or the lady at Starbucks, uh, whoever you come into contact with, practice this. First of all, it will come back to you in positive ways a hundredfold. It will change your life and how you deal with conflict, uh, but it makes you a really good mirror. So practice makes perfect, and I will see you next week. Hi, I'm Barrett Caleri from Connected Parenting. I hope you enjoyed our podcast, and don't forget to check us out on the web at connectedparenting.com and like us and follow us on Facebook.